Church of Omaha, welcome, welcome. If we could gather into our seats. I am excited to be here with you today. Um, I was thinking about it as I was praying over there this morning and then we were having our break. And um, imagine some of you have been a lot of places. I've been a few places, uh, Afghanistan, Dubai, Germany, Montreal a couple times, um, D.C., kind of all over the country here, Portland, Los Angeles, Dallas. I don't know, sometimes I run through all the, the locations. Uh, uh, nobody's getting excited when I say North Dakota. Um, <laughs> Montana's pretty good. Idaho wasn't bad. You know, Utah. And uh, you run down through the list. But every time last night, we were over in Indianapolis. And, and there was uh, several over there with Joey and over there for quizzing. And, and we made that journey back. And as I'm always coming back, I've never been at a spot where I've been like, I think maybe I'd like to stay here. I lived in the Black Hills for six months, and I was like, yep, this isn't the place. And uh, I like the mountains. I like the Northwoods. But Omaha is home, and this is our church. And we love and appreciate you dearly, and I'm thankful for the work of God in the city of Omaha, and I'm thankful that he's called us here and that we can work together in the fields. Let's go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap for his calling. Thank you, Jesus, for calling all of us, Lord, for putting us into your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So if this is your first time here today, I want to welcome you to the Church of Omaha. We are thankful that you're here, um, and just... We're a family, family of God, and, and you'll notice that we like to get together and chat, and so feel free to connect afterwards, but uh, let's go ahead and give our guests another hand clap. Thank you, Jesus. Well, to the media team, I know I have what I've written as my text, but that's not the verses I want to open up with today. I want to open up with Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. And I also want to open up and read out of Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. And then we'll launch off from there and we'll get back to kind of the central verses for today's message. But in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And then in Micah chapter 3, verse 6, it says, For I am the Lord, I change not. For I am the Lord, I change not. And I'll go ahead and stop there with that, that verse, but for I am the Lord, I change not. Lord Jesus, speak to your people today. We are the sheep of your pasture. God, we hunger and we thirst for you. Let your word go out. Let it have its intended effect, God, and make its change as you so desire it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today I want to talk to you about, does God get me more than you know? More than you know. And I, I sometimes struggle with titles, and truthfully I saved this in my notes as faith and healing service. <laughs> um, that's how I saved it, but... Uh, um, and as I, I, I thought on that, I was just really feeling like God wants to touch today. God wants to move. God wants to let you know who He is in your life and, and how He sees you. But we opened up with these verses, uh, um, For I am the Lord, I change not. And Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And 
We could flip over to the book of James and, and see some similar verses here in James chapter 1 and verse 17. It says, For every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And, and it's talking about like the sun, like it's, it's, it's there and there's no shadow. It's, it's, it's bright all the way around. And, and he's saying, hey, God is God and He does not change. So when we say God is love, I like to say God's a noun there and not a verb. Um, God is love. We're saying that's His qualities, that's His traits through and through. You can't go through and through Him and examine Him with a microscope and find a part and go, aha, I've now found the part of God that is not love. Or, um, hey, I found God here where you're in conflict. I found God here where, where I believe that you told a lie. We could turn further over into the book of Hebrews in chapter 6 and verse 18. It speaks here, it says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. Impossible for God to lie. So as it begins to speak of a couple things where God is not going to change and a couple items, it says, it notes in there, it says, where, for it's impossible for God to lie. You know, it's exciting when we think about the consistency and the unchangingness of God. Because we have a world that seems to be up and down. And somebody's your friend one day, and they're not your friend the next day. And, and sadly, some people are, are in marriages and in relationships, and one day the, the, their spouse walks in and just says, you know, I'm, I'm done. And you're like, what changed? What changed? And... One of you uh, was sharing with me uh, just this last week uh, um, about a job, and you're like, and it changed a couple times, and you're like, I, I thought it was good, and then it was bad, and and then I went to the Lord, and now it's good again, and but you're like, what changed? What changed? Uh, our car right now. You get into it, you fill up with gas, you're ready to hit the road, and you go to turn the starter, and the starter keeps starting. And it keeps starting. And interestingly enough, you can solve that problem by taking off the gas cap. And then the car starts. And then you put the gas cap on. And then you drive away. And up until you go to fill it up with gas again. And I, I think I found it on Google. So I, I think uh, maybe we can figure out this problem. But, uh, um, but yeah, there, there's, you're like, what changed? What went wrong with my car? What went wrong here? And, and so we're excited and we're thankful that we serve a God who we know His Word is true. He's not a man that He should lie. And, 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 and when He makes a statement, it's, we deal with people's problems. And sometimes we're like, I'm here for you, man. I'm here all the way. I'm here all the way. Oh, you got a problem again? What's the deal? You know, I can't handle that anymore. But I thought you said you were with me all the way. Well, that was yesterday. I thought you'd get over it. You know? And with children, right? We're like, today I will be patient. I will listen. Why do you keep crying? And, and, and you get... It, we change. And what is there now in the world? Is it 8 billion people now? And I wonder, how can God hear all the problems and see all the whininess, and, and, and including mine, and how shallow we can be? And God's patience 
He is infinitely greater than we are. That He consistently reaches and loves. He loves and He he puts up with and He deals with and He listens and He cares and He comes in and solves our problems. To be honest with you, sometimes my prayer, I'm telling God my problem and then I stop and I go, well, I know people in the world are in war zones and I know there's people who don't have food and I, and I know there's people dying of cancer and I know there's people in abusive relationships and that's way worse than my problem, God. But I still got a problem and so let me tell you about it. <laughs> and well, because I start to think, God, why would you take care of my problem? And then I'm like, but it's my problem. And, and so I look and I see a God who's able to deal with all that and consistently love and consistently reach. And, and, and so we are excited about God being consistent. But if you take that consistency to the nth degree, the unchangeableness of God, in which some people who like to wax philosophically over the centuries have done so, and, and some of them early on uh, um, it would delve into these things, and they would say, in the Greek scholars and philosophers, they'd say, well, God's unchanging. And I will try not to bore you too heavily with this, okay? But, but they'd say, God's unchanging. And then they would go, well, God is God's substance, and God's substance is, can't be changed and it can't be affected to the point that they would say when they would talk about God's love is that God's love exists and God's love exists and it doesn't really matter if you love Him back or not. It's just love. And, and it doesn't, God's, God's reaching into your life. It, it's just there and He's going to reach no matter what He just is. And, and, and God just is God and He doesn't change. And, and you're thinking, well, that's a little weird. Okay, I, yeah, maybe I can get that. Maybe not. And and we won't delve a, little, a lot more into what those philosophers would say. I'm not here to bore you. But I think the idea that God is up here almost like a smiling grandfather-like figure that nods his head and smiles, and you're like, well, he's a kind old man. And if you're a teenager and you're looking at that 90-year-old kind old man, you're like, well, he's really kind, and we like to go over to their house and visit but he doesn't get my world because he's there. And sometimes when we look at a God that's big and created everything and is from the ancient of days, unchanging, we go, wait a second. Well, what about my world that's forever changing? And I'm telling you today, we live in a time period in which technology has gone through the roof. And now we've really started to delve into AI, and, and you can go on to chat GTP and to, I forget what Ask Bing is or whatever that is, and, and you can type questions, and there's a crazy Google one out there right now that uh, will totally change up history for you, depending on what you put into that Ask AI thing. Um, but uh, uh, it, it, it's exploding and the world is changing and the way we do stuff and the way jobs are going to look, let's say, in 10 years and all that. It, you're like, what is going on? And, and we've had World War I and World War II and what were they supposed to be but the war to end all, end all wars? And now my kids study them as ancient history. And the world's chaotic. We're supposed to change all our morals and values. Not really, but... Uh, uh, According to the world we're supposed to, we're supposed to accept a lot of different ideologies. And, 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 and we look at it and we say, no, no, no. 
But we meet people and they're suffering. They're hurting. And they're real people. And they do have kindness and caring. And we're like, wait a second. And all the noise, and I would dare say all, if we call it media, is pounding into our brains. And, and we suffer ailments. And we're like, what is up with this today? And I, you know, I went to church yesterday and I went up front and they prayed for me. And now why do I have this pain in my knee? And I didn't know it could hurt over here. And they have new names for everything. And, and, and you, you think, how did people ever survive all these centuries? It seems to be getting worse and worse and ever-changing. And you wonder sometimes, can that, quote, old grandfatherly nodding figure, ancient of days, that you might image you might have in your mind, can God really get me? And if you're not asking that question, I think a generation in, in a world that, that of, of young people and 20-some-year-olds is asking that question. I think they also asked that question here studying the United States of America because we had the technology revolutions. We had the Enlightenment periods, which is also ancient history in their textbooks. And science was supposed to solve the problems. And all it did was serve to give them new gadgets and gizmos and give them new explanations. But they still hurt. They still suffer. They still struggle. And they still wonder what is the point to living. We have a form of government, representative democracy, what, democratic republic, right? And that is supposed to be the way that it was going to revolutionize the world, and, and, and this is the form of government, freedom and liberty, and, 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 I, and I love this country, and I love our government. But you look and you say, and there's a constitution, so there should be justice, and we should be able to figure this out, and yeah, it's flawed, but we should be able to get there. And then you see the laws passed, and... You see all the situations on the border and you see the riots and streets and you think, well, what, what happened there? Ah, but we can go to a court and we have one of the best court systems in the world. But yet, you see unfairness and injustice and, and so you're a young person and you say, I thought the government was supposed to solve this. I thought we had hit on the way that society was supposed to be. I, I thought science was supposed to take care of this, but I'm still left empty. And hear me, Church of Omaha, that is an open door for you to reach into lives because they have discovered in masses and in droves that there is a dissatisfaction and a hunger welling up inside and it is an open door for you to bring them to Jesus. That is why it is not a strange thing anymore for people to say, people speak in tongues? They might say, wow, that's... <laughs> Uh, that, that seems a little different to me, but it's no longer some people way over there in the corner of the city, a handful. No, this is something where people are hungry and thirsty and they're reaching out to Jesus and He's filling them with His Spirit because we have a hungry world. But they're looking and they're seeing all these institutions that were supposed to be, if I dare say, science and our form of government and our legal system unchanging bastions that they could hold on to and it hasn't provided the answer and sometimes they'll bring that very thing back to the church and you walk into a lot of churches and I am so sorry and it, and it breaks my heart but these things that were supposed to be bastions that would, they could get faith and encouragement out of are echoing empty halls 
And throughout many different churches you've seen and during the COVID years, people vacated. And it's been hard for them to come back. And, and, I, and it's sad to say that in many great halls and institutions that, that great, the great Word of God was preached, they now hear words and it just doesn't penetrate and it doesn't satisfy the soul. Oh, this Gospel has got to be real. It's got to be something that gets to where they live at. People don't just want an academic discussion. Yeah, that can bring some enlightenment, but they're saying, hold on, what can you do for me for where I'm at? We live in a service industry. And if you don't provide a service that people are interested in and meets their needs or makes them think that they have a need that needs to be met, you're out. <laughs> we got a lot of restaurants in Omaha, and if you want to start a new one, it better be good. <laughs> because there's another one down the street. We got Burger Detour now by my house. And I was like, well, that burger better be good because there's a lot of burger places in Omaha. There's got to be something here that's... It's going to make people come back. Otherwise, they're going to go around your detour. And, uh, but people look at institutions and they say, you have supposed to be able to trust in you. And they look at the churches and they say that. And then they'll look at God and He becomes a distant figure. And that unchangeable ideal that we hold on to and that we sometimes so relish can also become the thing that says, can God even get me. Does God really get me? And throughout some thousands of years in church preaching and teaching, sometimes the focus is on the unchangeableness of God or the immutability of God. And it's a great message to preach. But when they say, but then does God get me? Sometimes they even say, then, well, what's the point in prayer? I am not trying to discourage anybody today. <laughs> They say, well, if, if he's unchanging, then why would I go to him in prayer? If he's unchanging, why would I bring him the situation? If he's unchanging, and what they have taken is a term and blanketly covered God and impressed upon him and made him subject to man's ideals. Those ancient Greeks says God is God's substance. He can't be man's substance. That's impossible. And I'm like, well, who made you God? God is not subject to science. God is not subject to philosophy. He is not subject to the Constitution of the United States of America. There is no law or bill that will be passed in this country or by the UN or any government out there that God needs to submit to. God does not need to submit to gravity. He does not need to acknowledge that the speed of light is a constant. God, God is not bound by any of those things. And God does not need to be defined by the way you think you should view Him, but your view needs to be changed by how He tells you who He is. And so, when we read these passages, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we read, for I am the Lord, I change not. The good news contained in those things is far greater than you might have imagined. And earlier this year, I turned over to what is my text, and that is the, the, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. And we will come back up here in a minute to some of these other passages. For I am the Lord, I change not, but... Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. 
We see the writer of Hebrews so eloquently describing our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. It says, which cannot be touched. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched. We've got to read the both the not and the cannot. Why? Because it flips it around. And when we look at that touched, what it's saying here is, in the Greek, is sympathetic. To sympathize. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched or which cannot sympathize. What it's really saying is we have a high priest who can sympathize. So what is a priest? And more importantly, what's a high priest? Well, we go back into the Old Testament because that's what the writer of Hebrews was reaching into. And the high priest, one day a year, would go into the Holy of Holies. That's the tabernacle where they, that the, the children of Israel would go for worship. And in the Holy of Holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant that contained the mercy seat. And the, 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 the glory of God was right there. And, and there was some golden cherubims that were fashioned that, that um, covered over the top. And, and, and he would take the blood and, and he would, from the sacrifice and he would put it on there and sprinkle it. And, and he would be going in to say, hey, don't see their sin. Uh, push their sins ahead. Don't, don't see their sin. And he would be making intercession for the people. He would be making intercession for the people. There would be sacrifices offered up daily for the people. Why? To take care of sin, to take care of their struggle, to take care of their problems, to keep them so they could be in relationship with this pure God. So you have this pure, unchanging, holy God, and you have these messed up sinful people who one day they love you and the next day they don't. And, and, and they're all here for you today and they're not here for you tomorrow. And it's kind of like our friendship, Joey, we were talking about earlier. I'm always here for you. Ah, again? You got a problem? You know, like, like uh, uh, God, I'll never leave you. Well, that looks like fun. <laughs> I'll be back. Uh, um, you know, and that's that, that, that whole thing right there. And they had to keep coming because sin was still in their nature and, and there's still that struggle and, and it's still there and it's year after year and the blood of goats and, and lambs and, and, and cattle, it doesn't take care of it. And so, the high priest would do this intercession. The high priest would also come out and be God, represent God to the people and give a blessing unto the people. And so he was this, this uh, uh, he was this, the word has left my mind. I just, just said it a minute ago. But he'd make intercession. He was an intercessor between the people and God. And the writer of Hebrews says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched, or we have an high priest who can sympathize with the feelings of our infirmities, our sicknesses, our weaknesses, our struggles, the things we go through. He's saying we have a high priest who we have an intercessor who gets us, who, who, who sympathizes. Ah, but if you delve into that word sympathize a little bit, it's not just somebody standing by saying, I'm really sorry, Brother Terry. That's sad. 
That, that grandfatherly figure that's 90 years old and you're the teenager and he says, well, I'm sorry, kid. That's really sad. Well, do you understand it, Grandpa? What? Not really. I'm really not. I, it's been so long since I've been in high school. And, and no, it's not that kind of sympathize. But it's so much deeper. Oh, it's, it's so much deeper. First off, it's a sympathetic that says, wait a second. I know that sin is going to send you to hell. I know that sin leads to suffering and it splits relationships and it tears apart marriages and, and I know that sin ultimately it, it takes you down paths and sometimes places you in addictions and it, it physically destroys you and I know that sin ultimately it may be fun for a season but you wake up one day and you say how did I get here? And In this present world it leads ultimately to a life of misery emptiness and heartache and it doesn't matter how many millions of dollars you have you're left empty and broken and when things fall apart you see people who have a lot of wealth commit suicide and sometimes with their wealth they commit suicide why because money didn't answer the the, the longing in the heart sin does not satisfy and, and, and when i say sin it's more than just that you committed a sin but the nature of this world doesn't satisfy. And God understands that. We have a high priest who said, I get that and I know where it takes you. But it's more than just understanding and looking and saying that. Because the verse goes on and it says, but was in all points tempted like as we are. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus lived on this earth walking around in 2024 and that he could decide if he was going to watch a certain movie at the movie theater. But it does mean that the kind of temptation, the way it points into your body, the struggle that you feel, the way you have to resist and say no to certain things, and, and sometimes the way you need to say yes when you don't want to. He knows that struggle. He was tempted in those areas. You know, this is the beauty of Jesus Christ. He had to have his diaper changed. Oh, you would talk about our Lord that way? He was in all areas tempted, like as we are. He had, he had to grow in wisdom and in stature. He had to go through suffering and struggle. Not just the suffering on the cross, but he had to sit in the classroom and learn. He had to go through the suffering of learning and, and we talk about our children, and, and uh, one of my kids said the other day, this is the hardest math I've ever done. Well, you know what? They're not going to understand that math unless they suffer through it. And it's a struggle. And, and, and Finn, he, 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 he didn't like reading. We sat down with the teacher the other, the other day, and, and we were talking, and we were talking about, you know, when you're just trying to put some words together and sound out words and then you can kind of get a sentence or two, reading is not a whole, it's not a lot, it's not fun. <laughs> you're like, why would I read a book when I could watch a movie? <laughs> why don't you read to me? Putting this together. But something clicked the other day. And I get a text message and he's like read a hundred and some pages in Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Why? Because he suffered through the ABCs. And then he suffered through learning how to say these words. And he suffered through spelling. He does not like spelling. And he'll say to me, 
Dad, why do we have to practice our spelling words? I'm never going to be able to spell that word. I'm like, okay, but let's try. Then he comes home. I got that word on the spelling test. <laughs> he had to suffer. Suffering molds us and shapes us. Not all suffering is, is suffering that it should be avoided. I'm not talking about personally punishing you. But we go through struggle. Jesus gets your suffering. He was tempted in all areas like as we are, yet without sin. He also knows that you can come through it. He also knows that you can make the right yes and you can say the right no and, and you can come through this. We have an high priest, but you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't stand up there and go, mm -hmm, what's your problem? <laughs> I did it without sin. No, but he's sympathetic towards it. He says, I experienced that. I went through that. I've been there. And now I'm your intercessor. And what does our intercessor do? He doesn't say, don't mess with them. <laughs> they should have been able to get it. I got it. I passed the test. No. He says, hey, I know their condition. I see their condition. And I personally experienced and participated in the struggle. Oh, maybe not in their sin in the point that I actually went and sinned. No, He didn't do that. But He did take our sin on Him on the cross. But before He ever went to the cross, He was tempted and struggled and suffered in all points like as we are. This is our high priest. This is our high priest. And so he tells us, it says, let us therefore come boldly. This is back in Hebrews chapter 4. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. I want to talk just a little bit more about the high priest there before we highlight again that boldly before the throne of grace. When you read Hebrews chapter 5, starting at verse 1, it says, For every high priest is taken from among men, taken from among men is ordained for men in the things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them who are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. What is this telling us here? These are some characteristics of what a high priest was supposed to have. To be a high priest, and, and, and I didn't read all of it here, but you had to be picked. You didn't just stand up one day and say, I'm a high priest. Jesus was picked for this task, just like Aaron, the Old Testament high priest, was picked for it. But you had to be a person that you were representing. You had to be a man. You had to be human. You had to be pulled out of the people that you were going to be the intercessor for. For every high priest is taken from among men, is ordained for men in the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. What does that mean? The high priest also suffered. So he had to be a human. And he also had to suffer. 
when we talk about the unchangeableness of God and you go back into all the Greek philosophies, this is a concept that the, the rules that they would put on God that they couldn't get their head around. Because how could God become man? How could God go ahead and say, wait a second, you know what? Can, 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 how could God participate in your suffering? How could He be your high priest? And so they tried to split God apart and they tried to, to define Jesus just a little bit differently and they, they couldn't get their heads around it. But when you return to the Scripture, you begin to discover just some things about what God did for you. Because when we explore just a little more about who is this high priest, this intercessor, we could flip back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. It says, who being the brightness of His glory, speaking of God, and the express image of His person, speaking of God, and upholding all things by the word of His power. Well, who has all power? God. But who are we speaking about here? Jesus. Well, who is Jesus but the express image of His person? and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He by Himself, who's He? Jesus. Purged our sins. Set down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Oh, you're saying, wait a second, what's this right hand thing mean? Where'd that come from? When it says right hand, when it spoke of that in ancient uh, uh, Mid-Eastern uh, or Far Eastern language, what that meant was authority, power, that, that place from where it comes out. That's why it says the expressed image of His person. It's saying, you want to meet God? That's why when He told Philip, Philip said, show us the Father. And, and Jesus said, Philip, when you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. He's the expressed image of His person. Oh, we were able to see God become man. We were able to see God in the flesh. That's why Philippians echoes this in chapter 2, verse 6. says, Who being in the form of God, speaking of Jesus, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation, and took upon Him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Sometimes if I explore this and I go back and I look up these words, I'll then look at a translation and say, hey, does this express it? And So I looked over at the NIV and the NIV says, who being in very nature God, did not consider, him, consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. And some of you have explored when we were reading through the Jesus series here in this last year and you read the, the New Living and it says, Though He was God, did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Oh, hallelujah. Who being in the form of God. Who being God said, you know what? My robes of glory, all my greatness, it's not something that matters, but it's something that I can step down from. And you know what I can become? A servant. And that word servant was slave. I can make myself a slave. I can bring myself to the lowest point, And I can put on, I don't even want to say put on humanity. I can become human and participate in everything. 
So on the cross, the humanity of God, the the flesh of God died there. But in all aspects of that suffering, uh, um, in spirit and in flesh, Jesus participated in your struggle. And so you can know today that God participated in your suffering. God had had temptation thrown at Him and, and He felt all of it and He went through all of it. He went through all of it. Here is the beautiful and mighty thing about all this. And let's go back to this throne of grace. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What we have flipped through in this language of this verse is priestly language to kingly language. And in the, the Near East, sometimes kings saw, saw themselves, first off, they sometimes saw themselves as gods. Just go ask a pharaoh. And they would see themselves as gods. But they also would see themselves as with, with being a representative of God to the people. But in the passages we read here, we begin to discover that Jesus isn't just any ordinary intercessor. But that God became man. And we have an high priest who sympathizes and understands everything he went through. And then what did he do? Well, what would the high priest normally do? He would come and say, hey, let me intercede. But when you get over there, you step... Alright, let me pause just for a moment. The temple was the place where the physical fleshly realm was connected to the spirit realm or to heaven. Heaven and earth are connected. By the way, you are temples of the living God, of the Holy Ghost. And this connection was there. And, and, and so when you would go in there, what you see is um, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and His train filled the temple. What He was seeing was into the, the, the heaven and into the throne room of God. And, and so here we flip from, from high priest language to kingly language as we see that our high priest is enthroned and he's sitting there and he has all authority and he has all power. And so your intercessor says, I've been there and I struggled. So I'm telling you to come before me that you can have mercy from whom? But from Jesus Christ, from God Himself. So Philip says, show us the Father. And he says, Philip, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so Philip knew that when I go before the throne of grace and I say, God, help me. When I say, oh Lord Jesus, help me. I'm going before that God. I'm going before that Father that I said, show us the Father. And he said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You're not running from one intercessor to another intercessor, but you see that that God is setting. And what is He saying to you right there? He's saying, I understand what you've been through. And I came and I participated in it. Oh, and the exciting thing about this, if I can just bring this home, is our God, our God of glory, went ahead and said, hey, you know what? I can change. I can go through your struggle. I can be touched by by what you go through. I can be affected by your condition. And I can go ahead and become the lowest of the low and spring back to the highest of the high. And that's God. God says, no, nothing is off limits to me. 
I can go through suffering. I can go through ridicule. I can go through disgrace. I can be spit on. I can be imprisoned. I can be hung on a cross. I can be put in chains. I can go through every bit of it. I can have you look down on me and not respond. I, I can go through everything. I can even take your sin on me, yet without sin. But I can take it on me. And then I can go back and set on that throne. And I can tell all that pain and all that suffering. He, he can say, I own you. I rule you. I paid the price for you. I bore stripes for you. I went through struggle for you. And so this is why it's important. Why should people pray? Because you can move God. And so you can see a situation that was going this way. But he says, come before the throne. And you can say, Jesus, I need your help. And he says, I get you. I know where you're at. And I know it more than you ever realized. I've been there. I've done that. And he'll heal you. Or he'll say, I'm carrying you through it. And I know it's a lot of heartache. But don't give up. Let me put my arm in your arm. And let's walk this thing together. He sympathizes. He understands. He's been there. And so when we go back to those passages we opened up with in Micah, he says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. What was he saying? He was echoing, um, he was echoing the, the immutability in the book of Hebrews here. Because in Hebrews, when we read about two immutable things, he was speaking about the covenant and the promise he made to Abraham. And he was saying, I made these and I'm not going to change on them. And what was that thing he wasn't going to change on? That he was going to bring deliverance and make a nation and a people and ultimately bring you salvation through Jesus Christ. He's saying, I've made a promise. I made a covenant. I made a commitment. And I can't lie. And I'm going to do this. I don't change. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob aren't consumed. Because I'm the Lord, I change not. I change not. But people had a problem, and we're not going to explore the book of Jonah today. But God told Jonah, I'm going to destroy Nineveh. He didn't say, if they repent, I won't. He just said, tell them I'm going to destroy them. And Jonah ran and was mad. You know why? Because he knew if he preached to them, even though God didn't say it, that if they repented, he was like, I know that you'll change, God. I know you will. He was mad. He was upset. He was frustrated. But what did God do when they began to cry out and repent? God spared Nineveh. When, when Abraham heard about what God was going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah, he went before God and began to plead and to cry out. And God was like, okay, for this many. Okay, for that many. It is so important that you pray. God wants you to link up with Him. He is desperate to save those that are lost. He wants to reach. He wants to save. And so when we read Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, you know what that is? The God that was moved by Sister Nancy 10 years ago. Brother Joey, he's still moved by you today. And, and, and the God, Brother Terry, that was moved um, 2,000 years ago is moved by you today. And so when we talk about the God that doesn't change, we're saying He still hears my prayers and He still answers them and He still responds to my weakness and He still sees my struggles. Oh, when we read that passage, it says, For we have not an high priest 
It's not talking about Jesus before the crucifixion. It's talking about Him raised and glorified and sitting on the throne. And it says, it's saying right now we have a high priest who sympathizes. He gets where I'm at more than you know. He understands me. So why would I have saved this in my folder as a faith and healing service? Because you can go boldly before the throne of grace. What's boldly? Um, I've been really trying to get your attention over here. Perhaps if I write a letter, could you deliver this for me? I really don't want to. He's God. He's God. I don't want you to treat him like flippantly. Oh, but it's not like, it, it's not like in the book of Esther when she said, well, I can't go before the king. He hasn't called me yet. And if he doesn't extend his scepter, he's already saying the scepter's out. I've been where you're at. And so come boldly. Hey, I need help. I need help. I need help. I need help. You know what you get to do on Monday on the job? I, you know what? I thought I could make it, but I can't. You know what? I, I know you blessed me yesterday, but I need you to bless me again. I, I, I know about the people struggling over there, and I don't want to put that down, but I'm struggling too. Can you help me? That's what that means. It's present. It's now. God gets me now. He's my high priest now. He doesn't have to offer up another sacrifice and another sacrifice and carry out another role today. But He went ahead. He, he offered the sacrifice once and for all. And then He sat down in His enthronedship saying, I have now come back to all power because I've been down there and I've come back here. Oh, give Him a hand clap. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. Let's worship God. Don't let anybody tell you that God's not moved by your situation today. Oh, go ahead, worship Him. You can tell the young person out there, the government will fail you, the courts will fail you, science will fail you, but God gets you. He won't fail you. Oh, worship Him. Pour your heart out. Why is it a faith and healing service? Because you don't have to be good enough to run to the throne. He's your high priest. Oh, you can come. You can come boldly. Oh, we have just about four minutes left. I could go on, but I just want to worship Him. Pour your heart out. Pour your heart out. Oh, it's in Him we have redemption through His blood. Through the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of every creature. Oh, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come boldly. Come boldly. Oh, come boldly. Oh, present your petitions. You have access. Hallelujah. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. Oh, see him. See what he did. See him in his greatness. Oh, we're but dirt, and yet he loved us, and he, and he became us. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might be called the sons of God. Hallelujah. High priest. 
had to be human. And a high priest qualification had to go through your suffering. And God said, I can do that. And somebody said, well, what about what Aristotle says? You know, Who's Aristotle? <laughs> what, what, what about that, that Plato guy out there? Well, that's going to be a little squishy thing that kids play with in the future. Right? No, no. Doesn't, God's God. He's not defined by you. You can put limits on him in your life. But what he's saying is, let me tell you who I am. Does God get me? More than you know. Come back in here at 1120, and I urge you, make your way up to the front here. Go ahead, come boldly. Get, your, get to what you need. Put your trust in Jesus Christ, because he's telling you, I get you. I've been there. I've done that. I understand. God bless you. We'll see you back here in about 11 minutes.